we turn to the Gospel of John. And he shares with us this story that begins this way. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Or maybe, they have no wine, like a mom would, you know, in a mom way. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is it that you, that, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the, wa- fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the, ch- to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. Join me in a prayer. Dear Lord, we ask that you use this story to speak to us. As we talk about it, may we be shaped by it. May it reveal something new to us today. May it refill us with your love to overflowing. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus was crying. That was one of the babies at Christmas Eve service. So last Sunday we talked about Jesus being baptized in the River Jordan by John and how that signified the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So today we're going to talk about what followed that, at least in the Gospel of John, at least John's version. From that point, when Jesus is baptized, John goes on to talk about how Jesus calls the first four of his disciples. He does it in two different occasions, two at a time. And the the first one is Andrew and Simon Peter, and the second occasion is Philip and Nathaniel. And at the end of both of those pieces, the disciples immediately began believing that they had found the Messiah, and it concludes with Jesus telling them that they will see great things, that they will see great things. The heavens will be opened, he says, and the angels of God will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, 
That's a big, I mean, I would love to be able to see that, the the heavens opening and the angels of God ascending and descending. That's, That's big, that's huge. What a big statement to make. The disciples must have been sitting on the edge of their seat wondering what was going to happen next. Where were they going to go next? And as we read the story and we come to that place where Jesus says the heavens opened and and the angels will be descending and, and ascending, we too want to know what happens next. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? So we quickly turn the page to that place where we just read a moment ago. What's going to happen? Where is John going to take them after this big statement? It's got to be something big. Must be something amazing. Where do they go? A wedding. A wedding? That didn't quite make sense. I mean, I was kind of thinking bigger than than a wedding, as fun as weddings are. A wedding, he says. The other gospels don't do that. All the other ones do the same thing. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Right as, Je- as soon as Jesus is baptized, immediately they say he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now we're talking. That's some big stuff. Good and evil stepping into the ring for the cosmic clash of the century. Right? That's what we need. Not this. Wedding? A wedding? By comparison, it just pales. But even John goes as far as to say that this is the first of his signs. The first of his signs. But why a wedding? I've never really had an answer to that question until I read recently, recently read a sermon by Lutheran pastor Robert Sims. And he starts off this sermon by saying that Jesus doesn't like funerals. If you look at the whole of his ministry, he says, you will discover that Jesus broke up every funeral he ever attended. Here's some examples. The disciples and Jesus in Luke chapter 7 were headed to a town called Nain. And they approached the, the, the gates and found a wedding, a, a funeral procession on their way out, taking the body of the only son of a widow to be buried. Jesus, knowing that the widow would be now all alone, has compassion on her and approaches her and says, Do not weep brings the the son back to life and gives him back to her mother, his mother. He broke up the funeral. Another example is a story we know when Jesus and his disciples go to Bethany because they had learned that the friend of Jesus, Lazarus, Lazarus and brother of Mary and Martha, had died. And so they go to Bethany and when they reach Bethany, Martha runs out to them before they get into town and basically they tell them it's too late. You're too late. He's been in the tomb for three days already. It's not good in there. It's too late. Where were you? Yet Jesus goes to the entrance of the tomb where there were people still weeping and mourning. And he calls in and says, come out and Lazarus 
comes out very much alive. He broke up the funeral. He even broke up his own funeral. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb where Jesus was laid. They took spices to complete the burial process, as we are told. And what do they find? They find the stone is already rolled away. Angel is there and says to them, he's not here. He's risen. He broke up the funeral. Jesus doesn't like funerals. The point that the Gospels are trying to make by using these and other stories that I didn't even mention is that here Jesus is the Lord of the living. The Lord of the living. Here we have a God who even steps into the darkness of death and calls forth life. Now, if you're going to ease someone into believing something as big as that, what better way is there to do it than to have Jesus go to a party and bring new life to it? Start small. Start in a palatable place. I think that's exactly what John is doing. Rather than jumping right into some great cosmic clash like the other Gospels do, John instead gives us a Jesus who begins his ministry by bringing new life to a party that was beginning to die. I mean, if there's anything we can agree on, it's that when someone says we've run out of wine, what they're saying basically is party's over. There's no more life, man. Time to go home. Right? So by telling us about how Jesus turned the water into wine, John is revealing to us that when it comes to God, life never ends. That when it comes to God, the party is never over. That's what the sign is all about. That even in death, Life with God goes on. It is eternal. Chicago theologian Robert Hodgkins states, takes that premise and expands on it, saying to us, we should be celebrating all the time. Christians should be celebrating constantly, he says. We ought to be preoccupied with parties and banquets and feasts and, and joy. Why? Because we've been liberated from the fear of life and even the fear of death. We ought to attract people to the church quite literally by the fun there is in being a Christian. Now that doesn't mean that all of life is fun and games, right? We know that. We get that. As we all know, tragedy and loss and hardship and grief and pain and suffering are all mixed in with the life we live. We never quite know when it's going to come upon us those times. So it doesn't mean that. It's not dismissing that. 
But what it does mean is that our task, our challenge, our calling is to look for joy in every part of life we possibly can, to bring joy with us wherever we go, because if we believe it all in the grace that Jesus shows them at the wedding of Cana, then we should also believe that when it comes to God, there is always more wine. I almost want to say, can I get a hallelujah right there? Always more life. All right. Even, even in death. Even in death. That's where our joy comes from. I don't remember who it was, but I once heard someone talking about what they imagine their conversation with God will be when they die. And they started off by saying, first of all, I would be surprised that I was in heaven. (laughs) But as I walk up to the gates, you know, or however you imagine that, as I walk up to the gates, God is already there waiting for me. And the first thing I say is, well, I guess I've got a lot of explaining to do. To which God looks at me and says, no. No, you don't have to explain anything. I already know all there is to know about you. No. All you have to do is answer one question. Did you enjoy it? I created all of this for you. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy it at all? Well, do you? Do you enjoy it? Can you find a way to enjoy life? There are times when it definitely feels like the wine has run out and the party is over. Life is, but life on the whole is not meant to be a hardship. Life on the whole is meant to be enjoyed. Enjoyed. And if the story of the wedding at Cana tells us anything at all, it's that when it comes to God, the wine never runs out. Look for joy wherever you possibly can. Bring joy with you whenever you are possibly able to do it. Enjoy this life as much as possible. As the singer Robert Earl Keane would say, the road goes on forever and the party never ends. Join me in a prayer. Gracious and loving God. Help us to enjoy this life. When hardships come upon us, may we greet those hardships in the way that 
you would, ha- you would greet them. Help us to endure those times so that we might look up and find joy once again. Remind us of the joy that never ends, the life that does not ever have a finish line. For even in death, life with you goes on. For you are the God of the great gathering, the biggest party ever thrown. Help us walk out into the world with eyes for your joy and hearts that may share it. In Christ's name.